0: The recent migrant crisis at the border has brought the United States asylum and border enforcement process to the news cycle. In this two-part series, Adjunct Professor Kathy Chesley, Director of the New Hampshire Catholic Charities Office of Immigration and Refugee Services, brings light to this confusing politically charged topic. This is the UNH Law Podcast. Learn more about the law school and apply by visiting law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire. Part two of this series, we'll dive into the South and Central American migrant crisis that the U.S. has been facing. Uh, If you didn't check out part one, please definitely look back in the podcast feed. We went into the specifics of asylum and refugees. Uh, how they end up classified like that, and kind of what their overall process is. So I definitely suggest you check that out first. But in this episode, we're going to dive into a little more specific to what's going on uh, that the president has been speaking up so much about, and the, as well as the rest of the government. So Kathy, um, thanks for braving two straight episodes with me on this. It's There's a lot to it. Uh, many of the migrants to the, to the U.S. border originating from South America, right?
1: Yes, I would say the bulk of our migrants to the country are originating through South America. Some come with um, temporary work visas. We don't have enough of those work visas yeah. to, to meet up with the demand of of employers here. Some come because they know there are jobs they don't have. They they can't get a work permit because they've all been sold out, basically. Do they get those work permits back in their home country? No, the employers here okay. can apply for them. It is not an easy process, but those employers who do apply and have migrants legitimately really benefit from the value of the work because there are few Americans, quite frankly, who would want to work as hard as these migrant workers do in the fields and the factories for the wages that they get paid. Uh, One of the goals of comprehensive immigration reform would have been to expand the number of permits, work permits, temporary work permits, to allow people with legitimate jobs who've been vetted to go back and forth across the border so they can continue to work, but yet visit their families and support their families who are fairly destitute on the southern side of the border.
0: So are, are these people able to freely travel through Mexico and the countries in between because they have that? It's yes. kind of it's kind of confusing because they're they're able to they're not just trying to cross the US border. They're crossing many countries borders as they go. Well,
1: often it's Mexicans because they're yeah. closer, but we have people From Jamaica, we had a a lawsuit here a few years ago where uh, people in Litchfield, New Hampshire, were bringing um, tree workers, people to help them with their um, arbor needs, were uh, abusing these people. And uh, it was pretty much similar to what you would call slave labor. And they were coming from Puerto Rico. Sometimes workers come from places like Thailand and they're held in bondage as well. So they have permits. And many, many workers, agricultural f- farm owners, work absolutely legitimately. Some do not. But the permitted workers come from a, a variety of places But many, many, many do come from Mexico because of the proximity to the border.
0: Like we talked about in the previous episode, there's refugees and asylum seekers. Do we get a lot of people from South America coming in as refugees or is it basically asylum is the biggie between the two of those?
1: No, there aren't any countries recognized in South or Central America as deserving of refugee status under the High Commission of Refugees. These Countries tend to be developing countries in other parts of the world with burgeoning populations in huge crisis. Quite frankly, there are some of us who feel that the current situation in Central America would qualify because of the nearly complete breakdown of law and the uh, violent, gang-infested communities that have evolved there over time. But at this stage, none of those countries are designated as refugee permitting countries.
0: Now, most recently, and the thing that's really gotten in the news cycle of late is the migrants who, yes. who came in the, the huge migrant train that came up through, um, traveled all the way from South America mm-hmm. straight through. And this isn't something that's, this is a one-off. This has happened in the past, correct?
1: Well, First of all, much of what has been shown in the media is not exactly true. We talk of a caravan. Yes, it's true. People are traveling in small groups for safety. And because many of the people traveling now are young women, or excuse me, women and young children and teenagers without adult coverage, they travel in groups for protection. They come to the border at several different entry points, so it's not just one huge mass exodus and everybody going to one place. So, for example, I was just listening to a call from the folks at Catholic Charities in San Diego where they put up a relief shelter and um, or work with other groups keep a track, they're keeping track of it. They're sort of monitoring the legal help that's available. They're monitoring the shelters that are available, making sure people are being taken care of for their basic needs and so forth. But there's many other points along the Mexican border where people can come in, pass over, and be processed. Now, you talk about asylum. So the minute someone sets foot on American soil, They have the right to claim asylum. What's happened now in this current environment is they're being sent away. So they're being caught at the border, not allowed to make that claim and being sent back. Or there are shelters being set up just on the southern side of the border so people can wait their turn. Who knows how long it will take for enough, or, if, or if, <laughs> if they cut if, off at some exactly. point, exactly. Right. And also, families are being separated, right. which is another thing. While they wait to make their claim for asylum by taking separating families, that gives people an sort of a, a strong incentive not to come across without your child, or to, to to worry about where your child would be while you might be coming, across.
0: or make you fearful of going through the proper channels.
1: Exactly, exactly. However. Um, Once you are able to cross the border and make your claim, often if there's enough people available, you'll have someone at the border make what they call a credible fear determination. So based on your preliminary story, you have enough to warrant being allowed to stay so that you can then make your more fully fledged argument with legal support before an immigration judge. So these cases of people coming across and claiming asylum would all be defensive asylum camps because in most cases, they, having crossed, are already in custody of ICE and therefore are court will be court-involved. There's one case, interestingly enough, that I had a few years ago, which, by the way, would never have gotten through under today's standards because of changes in uh, classification under the asylum law. There was a young woman from a Central American country, uh, barely a teenager, who had been forced to be the girlfriend of a couple of gang members in her home country against her will. She became pregnant, then went back to her very rural village to have the baby. She was in the city working as a housekeeper, had to go home with the baby. Uh, Abortion was not an option for her, and she has the baby. And then the gang members, knowing that her father was in America, find her in that village and try to kidnap the baby. Her father's in America, working, sending money home. They knew that, and they tried to extort money from her. Instead, her father hired coyotes To get her and the baby across the border safely. Luckily, she got asylum. It was not an easy case. Uh, The lawyer, the government attorney kept yelling, you know, this is a gang case. We had to show, no, this is not a gang case. She was not a gang member. She was never a gang member. She was not trying to be forced into the gang except for sexual relations. We also now, domestic violence is treated differently than it used to be if a a woman let's say from Guatemala there were cases that allowed a woman from Guatemala who was subject to such horrific kinds of violence that she had to flee to save her life with her intimate partner or her husband that could be a legitimate claim for asylum that is off the table now so You can't claim that living in a gang infested community is legitimate reasons, even if you're being forced to join a gang. And you cannot claim that being in a violent relationship with a partner is valid reason, To leave your country,
0: and these newly added restrictions really are causing the backup. I mean, at the border, so not only are they limiting the number of people who can get through or making it harder, they're limiting the number of people who are able to even be processed at the border. And we're having this just huge. There were there originally seven thousand people in the migrant caravan. I don't. It was like half of them were wanting to actually cross in the U.S. border or something like that. It's it causes causes huge backup down there, which kind of led to the. The, the photographs of tear gas being thrown over the, the, yes. the fence and all that because yes. people are rushing the fence, which a big question I had. I'm a millennial on Facebook, seeing people debating this up and down, obviously, because it's 2018, 2019 now. Is it legal for people to climb the fence? For some reason, I saw this more often than not for some reason. What is the deal with the fence with people trying to get to it and climb it?
1: The physical part of climbing the fence I don't know. I'm thinking about friends who were tied up to chains in the Seabrook. So I'm dating myself. No <laughs> millennial here. I, I, yeah, I don't know if they're guilty of committing some kind of offense against government property. But what I can tell you is that if you come in into the country without papers, you have committed a misdemeanor. To be in the United States undocumented, for example, you come to go to Disney World, but your real goal... You get a tourist visa, but your real goal is I'm not going back because if I go back, my children are going to be taken away from me because I refuse to follow Islam in the ultra conservative way my in-laws do, and I'll be killed and my children will be taken from me. Um, You can overstay that visa and it becomes um, a violation, a civil violation. It's not a crime. So again, I'm not sure about the physical contact with the wall, but it's only once you've been in the United States removed and come back that you create a a crime as such. One of the challenges, I think, especially for people in the legal community, is how do we get legal help Mm -hmm. to the border? The government is just not equipped to deal with that. And when we talked previously about the overwhelming number of asylum cases, the judges are overwhelmed. Um, I don't know if people saw, but a while ago, they were pushing immigration judges to handle upwards of 700 cases a year. I know from a recent visit with the head of the uh, Boston Asylum Office that they are under very scrutinizing pressure to move cases along very, very, very quickly. They come into the work for good reasons, but they become overwhelmed by by the, the process. And in some cases, issues are being raised in federal courts now, so they get another level of scrutiny put on them if, in fact, a hearing isn't conducted to the standards that it needs to be in law. Or... ICE isn't comporting with federal law around, for example, keeping people in custody without giving them a trial. So like never before, we've had to engage the federal district courts on constitutional issues like habeas corpus, where before when there weren't so many people being detained for such long periods of time. That was not an issue.
0: with your, Especially with your work with New Hampshire Catholic Charities. Uh, I mean, is there a solution that they view as being able to minimize, not getting into the political side of it per se, is there a way to speed up the process for all these people? Does it come down to just the courts are backed up?
1: Back years ago, there, wa- there were many, many people who had been sort of waiting for years to get their cases heard. And if they remained out of trouble, going to work, paying their taxes. At one point, they were all considered, okay, we're going to clear the decks, move on through, and then we'll start anew. There is some discussion now with many of these asylum seekers waiting, working without any benefits, just working day by day. The only benefit they get is the right to work, but they don't get public benefits related to that. So if you break your leg and you lose three months of work, oh well, sorry. But those people, many people who, for example, have filed in 2014, their cases are sitting there. And we've been informed that the government has no idea when. They cannot even project when those cases will be heard. At the same time, the same government officials are telling us that asylum cases are coming in the door so quickly They changed the rule under the new administration to say, first in, first out, that dropped the number of asylum cases quickly for a very short period of time. And now we're back to not even being able to manage that new directive while the backlog from four, five, many years ago still continues. So the answer, I don't know. We speculate. We only speculate. Um, It's hopeful speculation that at some point the backlog, as has happened in the past, will become so great that for those who have done their hard work, stayed out of trouble, raised their families, who now have children and grandchildren as American citizens, will be allowed the honor and the privilege to go through the process of naturalization.
0: Thanks for listening. Learn more about us by visiting law.unh.edu or following UNH Law on social media. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire.